Good Bone Health makes active aging possible. Join us for inspiring conversations from diverse perspectives in osteoporosis from patients, healthcare providers, caregivers, policymakers, researchers, advocates, and innovators. Protect your ability to live your best life. The information and opinions expressed in Bone Talk are not intended to replace the services of trained and qualified health professionals or to be a substitute of medical advice of physicians. You may review the Bone Health and Osteoporosis Foundation's full medical disclaimer at bonehealthandosteoporosis.org. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Bone Talk. I'm Claire Gill, CEO of the Bone Health and Osteoporosis Foundation. Joining me today is Dr. Whitney Roban. Dr. Roban is a sleep expert, author, and founder of Solve Our Sleep, a company that helps people of all ages to get well-rested. Her mission is to provide the sleep education and support we need to not only survive, but to thrive. Dr. Roban's training and experience as a clinical psychologist paved the way to her success as a leading sleep expert. Dr. Roban is the author of the award-winning Devin and Evan children's book series and the first ever school healthy sleep curriculum. She is also a sought-after presenter and resident sleep expert to corporations, schools, hotels, spas, and wellness companies. Today, I'm excited to talk to her about why sleep is so important to our health and how we can all develop better sleep habits. Dr. Roban, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Claire. So let's dive in. We talk a lot about sleep at our organization, primarily because I'm not getting much of it. But we know that sleep is something we should be able to do well. But there's a lot of things like our environment and diet and lifestyle choices that are changing how we sleep. So can you start by telling us a little bit about why sleep is so important to our overall health? Sure. That's my most favorite topic to talk about. The thing that I always say is sleep is the single most important behavior you will engage in on a daily basis. And I repeat that over and over again like a mantra. And the reason that's true is because sleep literally affects everything we do in a given day Mm -hmm. from head to toe. There's really nothing in life that good sleep can't make better. And bad sleep can't make worse from, I like to put into like three categories, be uh, physical, emotional, and behavioral. So every aspect of our lives, sleep is like this big, huge umbrella. So you're going out in a rainstorm, you're going to take this big umbrella to put over your head and protect you from head to toe. And that's really what sleep does. It protects you, it keeps you healthy and keeps you happy. It's so crazy because it's something that I think we take for granted until it's not working well. <laughs> you know, I mean, right? It's so crazy. <laughs> and and I think when we're little, obviously, children are always trying to get out of going to sleep. And, uh, you know, we, we as parents spend a lot of time teaching them good sleep habits. But then as we get older, it just, again, if you sleep well, you just take it for granted that, that it'll always be that way. So what yes. are some causes of poor sleep or common causes of poor sleep habits in adults? Mm-hmm. So there's so many causes, but it depends on whether we're talking from a medical or a behavioral perspective. Now, I'm a PhD in clinical and school psychology, so I treat strictly behavioral sleep problems. Okay. So I don't deal with the apneas and the restless leg. I leave that to the medical doctors. So I deal more with 
children and adults who have behavioral sleep problems. And a lot of that is caused by the number one reason behavioral sleep problems happen are usually anxiety and stress. That makes sense. Right. And from the pandemic, that's really when sleep started becoming on the forefront of people's minds because so many people were more stressed out than they had ever been. And people's sleep really went off the rails. And it had always been a problem, but it wasn't something that people have been talking about for that long. I've actually been working in this field for almost 20 years. And what I like to say is when I first started, people would say, you're a sleep what? And like, what? this is your profession? <laughs> and I don't want to talk about sleep. I'll sleep when I'm dead. And really in the next two decades, sleep, it's changed so much. The world has woken up to the importance of sleep that people say now, I better sleep so I don't end up dead. That's a great point. Again, I think yes. we just take, again, take it for granted that it has granted. Yeah, and we do, we do so many things on a daily basis that we don't realize can have a negative effect on sleep. So you would ask me like what yeah. habits things that people do. So of course, you know, number one obvious is electronics. That's probably the biggest change wow. in society through the years that's negatively impacted sleep. and. People always ask me, well, if I'm just going to get blue light glasses or, you know, use night shift mode on my phone and I'll be good to go. And that's an important component is the blue light, right? And everybody think knows that by now, it, the blue light goes into your eyes, tricks your brain into thinking it's daytime and your body decreases the production of melatonin, which is the sleep hormone that we need to feel sleepy. So the blue light blocking glasses and the screens, that can all help be a barrier. Okay. But then there's the other component to electronics, which is the emotional component, right? Yeah. Like, why are you down? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, we. Admit, I'll admit it. Kids, forget it. They're of course addicted. We're all addicted to our phones. They were created for us to be. You know, it releases the dings and the likes and all that. Releases dopamine, and you want to keep going. Yes. And so, when you're on your phone at night you're going to have some sort of emotional reaction to whatever you're reading or watching. So true. And there's no barrier to that. So outside of, yes, blue light blocking glasses and and night shift mode and all that, but your brain's going to be affected. And since the number one cause of behavioral sleep problems is stress and anxiety, a lot of times you're on, you know, watching a video that's distressing or doom scrolling or whatever it is, you're going to have some emotional reaction that's going to make it harder to fall asleep or get back to sleep. Because in my workshops, when I ask people, what's the number one thing you do when you wake up in the middle of the night and can't get back to sleep, what do you think the answer they is? They pick up their phone. Of course. Wow. They go on their phone. I am my and own then- worst enemy is what you're telling yeah. me. <laughs> this is really enlightening. So yeah. what guidance then should we give people like how soon, because there's one thing to be like on your phones at night, which many of us do because we might catch up on social media or reading after we're done with our work day or after dinner or after the kids go to bed. But how, how long before bedtime should we start to wean ourselves off of electronics and things like that? My recommendation is an hour at least. So I always tell you know, families and, and people to, to, when you make sleep a priority in your house, a good way to start doing that is about an hour before everybody's getting ready to go to bed. Have like that wind down time. Yeah. Put your lights on dimmers and get the house kind of dark. Maybe put on relaxing music, get off the electronics and everybody in the house should really have their own sleep routine. 
I was just doing a workshop yesterday and I asked people, how many of you have a bedtime routine or something you do to relax yourself before bed? And most people said no. no. Right. And so we think we, we want to be like light switches where you get into bed and you kind of turn off your light and then you turn off your brain and go right to sleep. And it's just not that easy. So doing these routines and sometimes things I, I suggest sound simple, but they really do make a very big difference. And part of that is unwinding from the day, from the stress, from the electronics and turning down the lights because light is a signal to stay awake Mm -hmm. and doing something that you find relaxing. And what that can be really is up to you. But something I always recommend is just an old fashioned traditional book. Yeah. Just read, get your eyes tired. Something else that's really great to do is to take a hot bath or shower. And that's part of my routine that I start about an hour before going to bed. And the reason this is good is because not only is it usually relaxing, mm-hmm. but when you get out of a hot bath or a shower, your body temperature is going to drop. And what that does is it signals your body to increase the production of melatonin, which is, again, the hormone we need to feel tired. So you not only get relaxation, but you also get the benefit of your melatonin starting to increase to make you sleepy. And then after that, I happen to do yoga stretching. I feel that's very relaxing for me. Some people listen to podcasts. Yeah. Um, maybe they'll listen to this to fall asleep if I can yeah. <laughs> if I can put them to sleep. You know, some relaxing music, spraying pillow spray. I happen to like lavender, but whatever you find relaxing, and just staying off of the things that will keep you awake, like eating something heavy, a snack, something or caffeine or chocolate yeah. before bed. Exercising right before bed is not a great idea. Strenuous exercising, taking a walk earlier is good. Again, yoga stretching is really good, but strenuous exercise should be left for a few hours before sleep. Interesting. Cause I used to be such a night owl that I preferred to work out at night yes. and then, you know, like, but like, and then I would go to sleep cause I'd be exhausted, but mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not normally how it is. And then obviously now I don't do any of that. I should be doing it, but I'm trying to change when I work out so that it doesn't impact sleep as much as, as it, it possibly does is mm-hmm. particularly the changes as we age. So do you find that too, that, you know, mm-hmm. I used to joke with people when I was in my thirties, that if thirties, that literally as well, as long you know ago as that, I would say if sleeping were an Olympic sport, I would be a gold medalist. I <laughs> sleep anywhere, anytime for any length. And it's just so crazy now that it's the one thing that eludes me as I've gone through menopause. Is that a normal thing that it just changes for us as we age? If we talk about menopause, one of the number one complaints that women have starting in perimenopause and through menopause are sleep issues. Mm -hmm. A lot of my client base now is focused on women in that stage of life because it's very rare to find a woman that has these hormonal changes and is not suffering with sleep. Either maybe they always did and it's worse or somebody like you that could have been an Olympic sleeper and now just can't get to sleep. And it's extremely frustrating for them. So I've actually been talking to a lot of experts in the menopause field and learning a lot more for myself as well about what women in that stage can do. And now that a lot of Doctors are talking about HRT, hormone replacement therapy, and how that can help. Taking progesterone relaxes us before bed. Interesting. Kind of has a little sedation effect. And that really um, has a significant effect 
on improving sleep. So that's an extra benefit that women can get when they're taking HRT. Of course, you have to talk with your doctor and make sure you're a candidate for it. Something else that I found very helpful that I more recently started taking is magnesium. Now, we know that magnesium is good for bones, right? right? But uh, another added effect to magnesium is that um, there's research to show that that helps with sleep as well because it's relaxing. It's a precursor to GABA, which relaxes us. So there's some things that we can take that can help with sleep. And then, of course, staying active and making you get your exercise earlier in the day. But doing that is really, really important. Sleep is so important for bone health as well. And as, of course, preaching to the choir, (laughs) as you know, um, that is a big issue with women as they go through menopause. And so sleep is such an important component to keep our bones healthy as well. So it's really important to put in the work. And something that else interesting about as we age with sleep, one of the myths about as we age with sleep is that people think as you get older, you need less sleep. Right. And that's actually not the case. Interesting. It's that our circadian rhythm changes and it gets pushed a little bit earlier. So we need the same seven to nine hours or average being eight. Uh We just get tired earlier and tend to wake up earlier. So an important thing that we have to realize when we age in order to keep our sleep on track is maybe shifting life a little bit earlier if you have the possibility to do that so that you can keep your circadian rhythm consistent. So it's not schedule. Just, yeah, I was going to say, so it's not just going to out to eat early, which we, we all joke about, right? The, you know, the senior citizens deal at dinner. Mm-hmm. But part of that is actually it's beneficial because then you're done with your meal earlier and have time to get to bed earlier. Yes, exactly. And you want to still try to get your eight hours if you can. And since you know your body will probably be waking up earlier than it did in your 30s, mm-hmm you do have to go to sleep earlier in order to get the amount of sleep that you need. That is so not part of our culture though. You know, it's really hard to fight when everyone is like that fear of missing out, you know, certainly even, even happens to us as adults. And then, oh, I'm not going to go to bed at eight o'clock when, you know, there's so much going on at that time of night, you know? Exactly. And it's that um, something that the media has coined revenge, bedtime procrastination. You've heard that term. Yeah. And we're so busy all day that you don't just want to stop and then just go right to sleep. You feel like you need some me time. And, and a lot of that has, will end up being on electronics or watching Netflix. And how many times have we said, oh, we're just going to watch one episode yeah. of our favorite <laughs> show and here we're 10 episodes in binging. <laughs> and that just prevents sleep from coming. And there's this you know great window of opportunity for sleep, like an ideal time for you. It's different for everybody mm-hmm. that it's easiest to fall asleep. And once we wait too long, we go into, our body goes into overdrive okay, and it starts producing adrenaline and it mu- makes it much more difficult to fall asleep. That's the same thing with kids too. When parents will tell me that their kid just doesn't seem tired. And I said, if your child, if they're not like clinically, you know, ADHD, yeah. and they're kind of running around the house at nine o'clock at night, and parents go, oh, he's, you know, here's just a late uh, night owl. 
and I'm not, I'm going to wait another hour to go to sleep. There's a better chance that you've missed that window already for that child and they need to go to sleep earlier. And that's the same thing for adults. Have you ever really said, oh, I'm going to go to sleep tonight at 11, but then you end up talking to a friend or checking emails or watching Netflix and it's 12 and you go, okay, now I'm going to really fall asleep. It's going to be easy. And you lay there with your eyes wide open because you missed your window and you're already overtired, which makes it physically more difficult to sleep. It's so important. It's just, I'm thinking through so many conversations I've had with friends and family about this topic where our bodies are signaling to us that it's time for sleep. My sister, I'm going to call her out. My sister do that where she said like, she'll start to doze off on the couch right around nine o'clock. But then, and she says, I should just get up and go to bed then. But she doesn't. As you said, she sort of pushes through and then gets into overdrive and then moves forward. And I certainly, I think I do that all the time as well. So it's really interesting to think about our bodies are telling us if we pay attention, hey, now is the right time for us to go to sleep. And it might not be what we think of as the right time to go to sleep. Right. I love when you say that the signal, because that's what I talk about when I talk about routines. It's your body has to tell your brain that it's time to go to sleep. And if you're doing things that are going to keep your brain active, that that you're getting the opposite signal. Mm-hmm. I always tell the story, my children are grown now, but when my son was little, you would never know he was tired. And then we would go into his bedroom and I would have this very strict routine where I would pick him up and he would help me turn down the blinds and find his lovey. Mm-hmm. And he would immediately start yawning. So this was a kid that was running around in circles And then he had that the signal of the routine and he would immediately get tired because I knew it was time for him to go to sleep. And that's the same thing with adults. When you do the same thing every single night before bed, that's relaxing, be it the bath. And then I I highly recommend journaling and the, you know, yoga stretches and, and the deep breathing exercises, your body knows it's telling your brain and body it's time to go to sleep. And it actually has a very beneficial effect in helping people fall asleep easier and quicker. That's great advice. And again, figuring out what that routine is for you individually, yeah. you know, we, it can make recommendations, do all that kind of stuff, but it's going to be different for different people. But knowing right. that that routine, it makes sense but that you build that habit and then your body gets used to that habit and you start to do it better. And I'm going to be taking so much from this <laughs> lesson to apply to my own life. And like you said, even when you know it, you know, when I've read articles and you and I have talked before and all this stuff, sometimes it's still so hard not to be like, oh, I'm just going to get a few more hours out of my day and that'll make me more productive, you know, tomorrow. And it's never. So talk a little bit about, which I, I've i talked about my whole life and I know the answer, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Is there any way to catch up on sleep? If you've been depriving yourself of sleep, is there anything you can do to sort of catch up and get back to a better balance? Yeah, that's such a great question. I get that all the time. Sleep debt, right? How much sleep do we owe our bodies? And the answer is not something people really love. It's very difficult to catch up on sleep. And why is that? Okay, think about it like this. Let's say you're an eight-hour sleeper, and Monday through Friday, you only got seven hours each night. It's okay. You feel all right, but sleep debt is cumulative. So by Friday, your sleep debt is now five hours. How are you catching up on that? You're going to sleep in for an extra five hours on the weekend? Well, you shouldn't. Um, There's something called social jet lag, where if you mess with your circadian rhythm or on the weekend and you try to make up for lost sleep... You're going to wake up Monday morning feeling like you 
flew through three time zones Mm -hmm. and you're actually going to feel worse. So it kind of defeats the purpose of it. And since so many people, about 30% of the population have serious sleep issues, up to 70% experience sleep issues at least once a week, but up to 30% can have clinical insomnia it just keeps compounding. Mm -hmm. So there's really just no way to catch up on sleep. You really just need to really prioritize it and make it a commitment in your life. And a large part of what I do in my work is explaining to people what happens while we sleep. So they understand so many critical components of health and wellness take place during sleep, mm-hmm. actually, a lot more takes place during sleep than when we're awake. So, you know, get out of that, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead. There's so many other things I can do. Nothing is more beneficial in the night that you can be doing outside of sleeping. That's really amazing. And when you were talking about those statistics, it's like, one, feeling better that, oh, we're not alone. Everybody is having these issues. But two, why isn't this a national health crisis? You know, really about we need to make sure that people are getting more sleep. And I feel like there's more of a conversation around young people. You know, there's a lot more debate around school start times and all of that type of stuff that I've seen a little bit more of. But we're we're neglecting it for adults, except, as you said, a couple of times when it becomes medical or if there are medical reasons that sleep is being impacted. like menopause or other diseases or other medications or things like that. So I mean, I'm so happy with this, with the menopause movement, because sleep is a part of it. So it's really getting its time too. And that, you know, there's so many things I can do to help women through that stage with sleep. And that will make the transition so much better for so many people. But you're right about, um, you know, I know you're a parent and I'm a parent I wrote these children's books that you referenced when you read my bio because nobody ever talks to kids about why sleep is so important. And there's so many sleep books for parents, but there were none for kids. And so I wrote these children's books really to start when it's K through five, when they're young. So they maybe won't turn into a population where 70% are having sleep issues. And then I wrote the school curriculum because when I went into schools talking about sleep, the educators were shocked at how much kids wanted to talk about it. They're not feeling good. They're not feeling physically good and they're not feeling emotionally healthy. And so many of them, when I have a class, ask a class of 34th graders, how many of you have a bedtime? No hands go up. So that's getting at the parents to have, you know, the attitude in the house of sleep is important. And then using the schools and the education system, because we talk about nutrition, right? Everybody learns about nutrition and diet in school. We all have to take physical education, but there's no sleep, mandatory sleep education in schools. And that's really why I came up with the sleep curriculum, hoping to end this generational cycle of sleep deprivation. That's kind of, you know, my mission is to really help they're young through adults. And, you know, now that I'm on my own menopause journey, you know, I'm fascinated with trying to help women, of course, men of this age too, yes. but um, because life changes and there's new stresses, you know, maybe taking care of kids or the kids are empty nested, but now your parents are getting old. Yes. 
work is maybe winding down or you're in the prime of work right now. So again, because stress and anxiety is the number one cause of behavioral sleep problems, it seems like life is very stressful. There's definitely a lot of good cognitive behavioral ways to improve upon sleep when we're going through times. Well, it is good to know that it's a process and a habit that we can develop, that we can change, that we can improve no matter what our age, so that there's mm-hmm. always something we can do. And you yeah. know, just start right now. You know, think about how you're you know, incorporating sleep and sleep habits into your life and how much better your health will be if we just listen to you <laughs> and find out you know, how to make that as some part of our own routines. So I have another question for you that you know, may or may not be from uh, my personal experience. How do you feel about napping? Oh, I love nap question. I'm actually pro-nap. However, there is a few rules to follow with napping. So it's beneficial and not harmful. Number one is all naps should be 30 minutes or less. (laughs) Sorry. Reason being, when we sleep longer than 30 minutes, we start to cycle into our deeper sleep. And you don't want to be woken out of that deep sleep. You will feel groggy and nauseous, maybe have a headache, right? That feeling when sometimes when you wake up after a long nap and you feel worse than you would have before you napped. So set an alarm for 20 to 30 minutes and just get that added boost. And there is research to show that that added boost can really help with cognitive performance or mood to get you through the day. The other rule though is all naps should end before three o'clock in the afternoon. Good. So when I work with a lot of teenagers, they come home from school at three o'clock and they first nap then. And that's really not a good idea because it, you know, they have such a struggle. You said with the early school start times, their bodies want to go to sleep later, but they really have to try to get better sleep by going to sleep earlier because they have to get up so early. I wish that wasn't the case. And napping late in the day could prevent that from happening, messes with your circadian rhythm. And the other thing is if you're not sleep deprived, you really shouldn't feel that need to nap. Okay. You know, that witching hour late in the day when you're getting cranky and people reach for that caffeine yeah. or, you know, parents describe it with kids, you know, where they start to run around the house crazy and all hell breaks loose. That means you're overtired. That means you're not getting enough sleep. So we should be able to make it through the day without needing any kind of stimulants and then be able to go to sleep at, at a good hour. Interesting. Well, that's really good advice about, again, how to make napping a positive thing and when it can be beneficial. Mm-hmm. And then again, how to do it wrong. So mm-hmm. also wondering though, so we've been talking sort of again about those of us who are working and those with children and how teens and children do it. I'm curious about older people. So my mm-hmm. mom was, we were lucky enough to have my mom until she was 90 before she passed away. Mm-hmm. In the last 10 years, I would say, her nighttime sleeping wasn't that great, but she would be tired during the day. And we sort of would say to her, look, you're retired, you're home. If you're tired, sleep. And it, you know, again, maybe because her her rhythm was off from from, from being a full-time worker who used to have a set hours to that all changed and all that kind of stuff. So For older people, and I'm talking, again, people in their 70s and 80s, again, parents that we might be caring for, Mm -hmm. if they're not getting that solid block at night, 
Is it okay or beneficial for them who don't have to drive or do things in between to be able to nap just when their body tells them to? Yes, but not just when they think their body is telling them to. What you said earlier is, I think, really important for older people is to keep with some sort of schedule, even if it's no longer a work schedule. And you have to remember your circadian rhythm is a 24-hour sleep-wake cycle, which means that everything that we do in 24 hours, not just before bed, has an effect on sleep. So even though they might, you know, be tired or you don't really have any place to go, getting up, getting fresh air and sunlight in the morning is really, really helpful to start the day. So you don't feel like you're dragging. So your body knows to reset your circadian rhythm, getting some sort of exercise. I know there's a lot of research that shows just walking is very beneficial, right? For our mood, for our bones, and it helps with sleep. Even if you take a late day walk, okay. we don't want to do strenuous exercise before bed, but an evening walk is also really helpful. Making sure there are diets, diets, the three pillars of health are diet, exercise, and sleep. And they're all intertwined and they all you know, affect each other. So making sure that they're getting the correct vitamins and they have, have a healthy diet. And of course, mental health. Yes. So There's a lot of research now, especially starting with the pandemic, how loneliness is such a significant issue for people. And it's a very big um, issue for older people as well. And isolation. We all learned that, obviously, like you said, during the pandemic, it impacted everybody at every age. But like you said, that's been going on for uh, the older generations for years where they feel that sense of isolation and that does impact health. And that impacts sleep. Sleep deprivation and loss of sleep can make anxiety and depression worse, but it can also bring on anxiety and depression in somebody who maybe didn't have it before. So a lot of older people experiencing this later in life, it's really important to socialize, to Mm -hmm. go out and talk to people because when you're bored with nothing to do and you're lonely, it's easy to just go to sleep. And then- you perpetuate this cycle because then you are sleeping all day and then it's difficult to get your sleep at night. So although, like I said, the circadian rhythm gets earlier and maybe your sleep cycle is different than when you were young, it's still important to get as many hours of sleep as you can. And then talk to your doctor because a lot of times they're taking medications that might be affecting sleep. And so that's important. That's very important. Absolutely. If there's any supplements um, like a magnesium that might be okay for them to take along with their regular medication. And the last thing I just want to mention is how dangerous it is for the elderly to be on sleep medications, prescription sleeping pills. That's good to know. Yeah. Because it's probably for fall reaction, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, It definitely affects you cognitively and physically the next day. And so so many doctors, because so many people, older people complain about sleep, they immediately will prescribe sleep medications like Ambien. And that's, you know, not only are they addictive, but they are dangerous. So I would not recommend that. So that's very good advice. And again, it's really hard as you're trying to figure out what to do and you're just so desperate for sleep. So realizing that it takes some practice to really put those good behaviors in place will do more good than the instant relief of a sleep aid. 
So we could talk about this topic forever, but we're, we're almost out of time on this. And I'm curious then, what's sort of the one thing takeaway that you want people to know about sleep and overall health that we'll kind of end the podcast with and then bring you back on some other time to talk through a million other questions I'm sure we'll get from people. Definitely. I would say my number one suggestion is really just making sleep a priority. So something I talk about is what I call a priority hierarchy. And those are all the things that you think are the most important in your life. Right? And in these workshops I've, I've been doing for almost 20 years, and what I find is the most common ones are your physical health, obviously, your mental health, being successful at home, at work, at school, in your relationships, keeping stress levels low. But sleep is generally not on people's priority hierarchies. And what I like to educate people in learning about sleep is that if you want to reach all those goals, and maybe yours are other things, you know, I, I just did a workshop and there was Instagram influencers and dancers and athletes. Sleep affects it all. So whatever is important to you, I could tell you how sleep, healthy sleep will make it better. So in order for you, so why wouldn't sleep be on that priority list for you? Because everything that you want to succeed upon, you're going to have an easier time reaching that goal if you get good sleep. So putting that sleep on that priority hierarchy and maybe even moving it up to the top to know that you'll feel better physically, emotionally, you'll perform better in anything you want to be successful in life if you just get healthy sleep at night. Oh, that's fantastic. Great way to end this. I'm so delighted that we had the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you so much, Dr. Roban. Thank you for joining me and sharing your insights and your expertise. We'll have links to the resources and materials associated with this episode at bonetalk.org. And for more information about how to keep your bones strong and healthy for life, please visit us at bonehealthandosteoporosis.org. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I learned a lot and I will be prioritizing good sleep habits. And if you will too, please do two things. Subscribe to Bone Talk so you never miss an episode. And please share this with your, all your friends and family. Thank you again, Dr. Roman. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time on Bone Talk. Thank you. Thank you for joining Bone Talk, the bone health and osteoporosis foundations podcast that shares information, strategies, and inspiration about good bone health that makes active aging possible. To learn more about bone health, to become involved, and or help fuel BHOF's mission with financial support, visit bonehealthandosteoporosis.org.